You know those moments when you look back and you kind of wonder what it's all been about? They come to us at different times and in different ways. We are going along doing our daily, maybe weekly, maybe monthly thing, but then we come to a moment. Maybe it's an ending ceremony, or maybe it's just a day of rest. Maybe it's the epilogue of your book, or maybe it's the epilogue of some season of life, and you stop and you think, wait, what was that all about? It's those high school graduation moments, and you stop and you wonder not just what's next for you, but what were the last four years of my life, or it's that moment when you drop your baby off at kindergarten, and you know things are changing, and you kind of wonder, don't you? Or you step into retirement, and you have space for the first time in a long time to think about your life and the things that matter to you, and you ask What was that all about, really? Happens in really big moments like that, but also I think in a lot of smaller ones. Some some of us sort of maybe pause around the Thanksgiving table and we remember the last year and we give thanks, or sometimes it just happens late at night after everybody else has gone to bed and you're thinking about your day. Or maybe you just sort of get to the end of the first week of August and you think, wait, how is summer almost over? What were these last two months all about? I can't really answer that for you for your whole summer, but I can tell you there have been some themes for us as a church as we worship together this summer. We started off the summer, do you remember, in a series that I called the Inspired Text. Text. And my goal was to help us understand and to read the Bible a bit better. And so that first half of the whole summer, I was trying to drive home the point that the Bible is this wonderful and beautiful book when you learn how to read it as a whole. When you look at all of the stories and you get it to the end and you ask, wait, what was all of that about? Rather than just pull out a story here and there and try to make a moral for your day. You know, it's one thing to know the story of David and Goliath or the story of Moses and the ten plagues, or the story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But it is another thing to be able to look back over all of those stories and to ask, what is it all about? And remember we said that when you do that, you start to see that the Bible as a whole is this mirror for us on our own kind of journey of coming to know the divine presence in our life, of getting the point at moments and missing the point at other moments and getting turned around but drawn back in. And after, you re- after a while, you realize that the Bible, it's not an answer book at all. It's this text in travail as Rene Girard puts it. It's struggling against itself. It's pushing forwards and backwards and wrestling with different kinds of truths and different perspectives. And all along the way, it's creating this trajectory. It seems to be overall going somewhere, pointing us towards something in particular, a particular kind of way of being and living in this world. And by the time you get to the very end of it, on some of the very last pages of Revelation, you read of this loud voice that is proclaiming, the home of God is now among mortals again. God will dwell with them. They will be God's people, and God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death 
will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away and the one who's seated on the throne says see i am making all things new and if you're paying attention you might start to recognize that the poetry of revelation is pointing to the poetry that we have in genesis back in the very beginning in the garden where Adam and Eve walk with God in the coolness of the day and this beautiful openness and vulnerability because the home of God is among people and there's no mourning or crying or pain. The story at the ending and the beginning are really the same story. They're describing the same reality for us. And so you get to the end and you look back to the very beginning and you think, well, wait, what was all of that about between the two? between Genesis and Revelation, and you start to realize maybe it was about us all along. And our ongoing story of the messiness of our lives, of living between two different Edens, that was the first half of our summer together. In the second half of our summer together, we've been asking a different but a very related question. If we're learning to read the Bible a bit differently, it's going to lead us to ask some new questions. And maybe one of the most important questions for us to start asking afresh is, well, what is the gospel anyway? And I've been trying to help us this summer dismantle some of the warped ideas that are really woven into American Christian consciousness about what the gospel is and try to take a fresh look at what Paul seemed to have in mind when he spoke about the gospel. And we've been using his letter to Romans in particular because it's the letter where Paul is doing that exact thing. He's looking back over the whole story of the Bible. If you read through Romans, he kind of does that. And he's looking back over the story of Jesus. And he's looking back over the story of his own life. And as he does, he's discovered what has been and is being revealed through the story what he calls the good news, the gospel, and its profound power for our salvation, as he says in Romans chapter 1. And so we've been following Romans these last four weeks. And we have looked at how Paul said the story has revealed the righteousness of God. Do you remember that? And how God's righteousness that's being revealed is a restorative righteousness, not a a retributive righteousness. That God's righteousness isn't one that punishes, but it's one that restores us in relationship, no matter our faithfulness. Which is to say that we aren't on one side of a great chasm and God on the other. That's the wrong picture on our napkin. Remember that? God isn't on one side of the napkin of reality and us on the other side of the napkin of reality. God is the napkin itself upon which our lives are being drawn. Very different picture. Then we talked about how Paul discovers that himself. When the love of God knocks him off his high horse and he learns to stop pushing and working against the power of God's love flowing into him and into the world. And how he learns to stop doing that and to start living in the flow of that grace and love. And then in our third week in Romans, we talked about how our baptism reminds us that this gospel isn't something we just learn and accept as being mentally true for us. It's something we get to participate in. We are being saved 
as we participate in God's great goodness and love in the world, or when we participate in what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, what Paul describes as being in Christ, we get to participate in that. And remember, we said it's the difference between listening to music at a concert and sort of getting moved and carried away by that music at the concert and eventually deciding that you yourself want to learn to start to make the music. In our baptism, if you're wondering about getting baptized, what we're saying is we've been carried away by the music of God and we too want to learn to make that music. And now we come to Romans 8 the end of this series, and pretty near the end of our summer, and we're looking back at everything that we've talked about this summer, about the Bible and about the gospel. And today, we are being invited to ask, what is it all about? That's the question that Paul starts off with in this reading that Kevin Sullivan just offered us this morning. What are we to say about these things, Paul writes? What is it all about? What is all this saving and suffering, the messiness and the joy and the evil and the goodness at work in the stories of the Bible and in the stories of our lives all about? What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, if that's what we have seen, if that's what has been revealed, well then, Who or what can stand against us? Who will separate us from that love of God made known to us in Christ? Well, just look back at how the story has unfolded and ask yourselves, can anything? Look way back. Remember the great flood at the very beginning and all the wickedness that surrounded it? And do you remember that when Noah was out floating in the waters of chaos, the story says, but then God remembered Noah. God remembered humanity, and God begins to recreate a new home for humanity. The worst in humanity and the waters of chaos were not able to separate us from the love of God. Can anything separate us? Sarah's barrenness and Abraham's messy relationship with Hagar, that didn't seem to separate them. Joseph's boyhood arrogance towards his brothers and His brother's jealousy, it didn't separate him even after he was kicked off into another land. It says over and over again in the scriptures, and God was with Joseph. It says again and again, and then there's Potiphar's wife, and there's the jail, and still it says, but God was with Joseph. The slave masters in Egypt and all the power they represented, that couldn't separate us, and neither could our grumbling out in the wilderness and all of the sort of back-and-forth relationship with this God who's freed us. And and even once we got to the promised land, our, our own complacency in the promised land, it doesn't separate us either. David's self-illusionment as, his, as the king and his blindness in his affair. And then later Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest person who ever lived and yet shows himself to be so foolish in his pride. And then later all of the injustices that we have in the story and our injustices towards one another and to the world that the prophets keep talking about over and over again. Even ultimately that couldn't separate us from the love of God. Yeah, it cost greatly, didn't it, though? 
The death that we sow into this world does come back to haunt us. And so as the story goes, there are Assyrians that come and there is Babylon and there is exile and there is great loss. But even there in the midst of exile, we discover that the God is always with us, even more present than God was when we were back in the temple or in the church, even more loving than we would expect vengeful, more hope-filled for us than condemning. And through every Assyria and Babylon and then later Persia and then later Rome and all these powers that try to destroy us, God never abandons us but instead starts to prepare this great gift, the gift of God's own self offered and made known in this tiny little baby born in the middle of nowhere in some little stable, weak, and vulnerable in this world who grows up and becomes really in the face of the world a nobody but in his own little region, this peasant teacher with this fierce divine love offering us this sort of upside-down wisdom of God and helping people in some of the most profound ways and loving the unlovable enough to hang on a cross and still say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even that dark hour couldn't separate us because God raised Christ to new life and is always trying to raise us in the same way, Paul says, and God is pouring into us the same resurrected life by putting God's own spirit in us, and you have Pentecost, and and at the end of it, we discover that the home of God is among mortals, and God dwells among us, and God will wipe every tear from our eyes, and mourning and crying and death will be no more. So, in the end... If we look back and we ask, well, what can separate us from the love of God? Surely it should be obvious to us by now, right? Ever since we turned our back and closed ourselves off to God in the garden, God has always been drawing us back, back into the garden where all is at one at home in God. Nothing can separate us, Paul says, not even death itself. In the countless ways that evil and death try to work their way into our stories and sneak their way into our lives and have kind of worked their ways into some of our loved ones' lives and keeps trying to sneak and work its way into our world. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor things present in this world or things to come that you're wondering about what's next. There's no power, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, that love of God that's always holding us in relationship, that love that's always being poured into us, that love that was demonstrated to us, that love in which we abide. The love of God will have the last word. It will never let us go. It will never stop drawing us home until all things have been made whole and redeemed again. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of our world and our lives that we keep forgetting. This is the good news, the gospel. So may you know its power for us who believe.
Because you know what? That's what it's all about.